You are listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast featuring members of the New York City Fire Department. We want to share stories from the field, best practices, lessons learned, and help save lives. Welcome to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. The date of this recording is May 15th, 2020, two months since the governor ordered people in New York State to stay at home for 30 days. It's also two months since the New York City school system was shut down and restaurants and bars were closed until further notice. People are doing drive-by parades to celebrate birthdays and other milestones. Non-essential stores are closed since late March and there are taped markings inside the essential stores to keep people six feet apart because social distancing is the new norm. Employees who can work from home are doing so, but we in the FDNY EMS can't stay home and the busiest EMS system reached the highest call volume ever experienced in one 24-hour period of 6,527 911 medical emergencies on March 30th. On April 6th, we responded to the highest number of cardiac arrests in one day, reaching a record number of 366, up from an average of about 60 cardiac arrests per day. I have to acknowledge all the NAC units, the National Ambulance Contract Units, provided through FEMA, a total of 350 who helped us during this time. 207 were assigned to the FDNY EMS 911 system, and the remaining handled interfacility transfers under the coordination of NISM, New York City Emergency Management. On the front lines of our emergency response to the COVID-19 pandemic, is paramedic Kim Lechak, a 21-year veteran of FDNY EMS, and she's here today recording in the studio with me as we sit at our six feet apart, actually more than six feet apart. More than six. <laughs> Kim, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Oh, this it's is, good to see you. This is definitely it's really fun. Good to see you. In it's spite good to see of you the too. distance. Yeah. <laughs> That's a new norm, as it you is. said. Yes, it is. Can you talk about your experience responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, maybe beginning with the outbreak as it began to escalate, and uh, tell us first, tell the listeners where you're currently working. So I work at Division 5. I'm the uh, Division ALS coordinator. I take care of Staten Island and South Brooklyn. My main goal throughout the pandemic is to get my paramedics the essentials that they need to perform the tasks that they need to perform. So that means that their ambulances are stocked, with any type of equipment that they need. If they need more equipment, I facilitate that for them. And I just answer any questions, clarify any material that comes out, buck slips, MADS, REMAC advisories, things like There's that. There's no shortage of changes in policies, procedures, and protocols during, I would say, the last two months and certainly the few weeks where this escalated, peaked, and then started to de-escalate. And by de-escalate, I mean the call volume. Right. I think, but I think that that's necessary right. in this type of situation. We've right. never done this before. Mm-hmm. So we have to kind of roll with it. Right. right. So as we learn more information, we have to disseminate that information right. and also clarify that information. Right. So this is an unprecedented event. I think we've made that clear just in the first couple of minutes of this interview. And, and even for someone like you with as much experience as you have, right? But tell us about some of your previous assignments over the 21-year career you have so far. I started out in the South Bronx at 26. Right. What year was that? That was 99. Then I went to Brooklyn at 58, mm-hmm. Station 58, which was amazing, where we met. That's right. That's right. 
And from there, I went to medical school mm -hmm. uh, in 2004. I graduated October of 2004. And then I went to uh, down 5'7", made my way back to 5'8", as a HAZTAC medic after I went through HAZTAC school. Right. Then I went to rescue school and then I went to uh, Queens at 4'6", and then they moved our truck to 4'5". So you have quite the experience background. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I try to be humble. I mean, I, I, I don't remember You're it You're definitely all, humble. I mean, it's, those are big accomplishments. To be a HAZTAC medic, to be a paramedic is a big accomplishment yeah. by itself. Yeah. And then to be uh, HAZTAC certified, rescue certified, these are big accomplishments. What other certifications do you have? I hold a FEMA instructor certification. I was assigned to the SOC task force for a short time. Mm -hmm. And I went to the Department of Homeland Security Radiological Nuclear School. And that was that was fun. It sounds unbelievable. Yeah, it's my career has been a blast. I have had a wonderful time, you know, and I just I can't say enough. And I presume that teaches about how to mitigate a radiological or nuclear accident or disaster. Absolutely, along with confined space, high angle rope rescue, you got collapse rescue, and then you have crush medicine, which right. is a whole nother slew of medications and mitigating factors and understanding where you can be, how your egress and your, your entrance can be, right. you know, and they may not be the same. And that's why it's called a confined space. Right, right. And so you're certified to teach all of these skills? Yes. So you have a tremendous amount of experience coming into a pandemic that we've never dealt with before, right? Yes. You've responded to some of the biggest MCIs in our department's history. This includes the Deutsche Bank incident, um, a 2003 blackout, which was tremendous. And you don't think it's going to get bigger than these incidents, right? Mm. The U.S. Airways Flight 1549 into the Hudson, known as the Miracle on Hudson, uh, so these are some tremendous MCIs that you've responded to during your career. Yeah, and just like you said, you never think it's going to get bigger. Every big one is the last big one. Right, You right. know, Just when you think you've seen it all on this job, and that's what time and experience proves, right? Just when you think you've seen it all, reality teaches you otherwise. Absolutely. Yeah. So how do you feel that these experiences helped you deal with the COVID-19 pandemic? I think that when things like the pandemic or, you know, in relation to MCIs or large scale incidents, I think that you have to understand that there are things that go on behind the scenes that you may not be aware of as a field medic or a field EMT or even a supervisor sometimes. I think that sometimes we have to put our trust that behind the scene the cogs are working right. and that our job is to take care of the field. Right. That's one of the major things. Also, responding to these incidents, I had no idea the amount of logistics that go into these incidents of where we get equipment from, that they're situated in special places for special reasons. Mm -hmm. And I think all of that, you kind of have to compartmentalize it all right. to each incident. Right. But I think that the pandemic is, as you said, unprecedented. We've never seen anything like this before. Right. When you talk about equipment, are you referring to the PPE in particular and because of this instance of the pandemic? Yes. Our PPE, that changed also for this, and it changed several times. Where were we getting it from? How did we count it? How did we gear our personnel? Right. We had SARS, right? So we knew that we had to wear masks and things like that. Right. But we had never heard of this. Right. You know, so this virus was totally 
new. Absolutely. So how do you attack that? Right. What side do you come from to take care of that? You know, you really don't know. So you have to trust that all the things that are being sent to you for you to wear and, you know, it's in your best interest. Well, yeah, because at one point we had to switch from our normally issued N95 that everybody is fit tested for to another N95 that people weren't fit tested for and had to actually watch a video on. Correct. But again, you have to roll with it. If we're running out of one type and you have another type, some protection is better than no protection. Right. We certainly wear a lot of different masks Absolutely. in our line of work. We've been fit tested for different types of masks, sure. whether it's the N95 or the APR. Mm -hmm. And you're right. You just have to roll with the punches. And I would imagine that your time and experience was helpful for the less senior members, right, who are looking for guidance, um, not only in how do I do this and why do I do it this way, but the resilience piece, right, of getting through the day-to-day, -day, of dealing with record numbers of calls, oh, right, yeah. record numbers of cardiac arrests. Absolutely. Um, situation where you can't take a family member with the patient to the hospital. That's never happened in our tenure. No, the only time that has ever happened is if the family is combative or not conducive to the good nature of taking care of the patient, right? Right, right. So all of these things come into why we do our job. We're compassionate. Right. We are people that want to take care of people. And that includes each other. None of us are as cold and callous that it's just like, okay, just go ahead and get through your day. Right. It doesn't work that way. You cannot work this career for any amount of time, I don't believe, coming out at the end the same person you came in in the beginning. So you have to tell people and let them know that things are going to change them, but it's how you let it change you. Right. You can take it and roll with it and become a better person, and some people maybe not so much. Right. So anybody that had any concerns that came to me, I did the best I could. You know, you just... Just try to lend an ear, be a friend. Right. And that's what this is all about. We're all in this together, right? Right. So on the basis of that, you just have to be there. We're one big family. Mm -hmm. We really are. Mm -hmm. You're also a 9-11 responder. Yes. So tell us about your 9-11 experience, and then we'll talk about how that may have helped you with this type of pandemic. So for 9-11, I did not go on the day of 9-11, I was a responder afterwards. Right. Um, for the rescue and recovery. For the rescue and recovery. That was a difficult time. I think these differ. I agree with you. Because 9-11 was an acute incident. Mm -hmm. It happened. We were all stunned, shocked, appalled. And then the days after it got better, somewhat. We were still grieving. The fireside was grieving our members. Our side was grieving our members. The hospital units were grieving their members. We were grieving civilians and the act in general itself. Right. There was so much grief and so much, it was so horrifying. But it seemed to get better. New York City pulled together. Right. The country pulled together. You know, you saw that instant morale and New York is just being New Yorkers. Right. 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 I see that now, but this is... 45 days, right. you know, this is a longer, of intense, of intense, <laughs> intense, the beginning, the call volume, 
We've never seen that. Right. Some of those numbers we haven't reached in four days. Right. You know, or it's taken us four days to get to that number, right. 6,000 or, you know, two days. Right. That's unheard of. People are exhausted, and it's constant exhaustion, mental, physical exhaustion, right. with a lot of different pressures to right. go with it. What type of pressures do you think help to you know, make it more dramatic or, or um, escalate the tensions or the stress? The amount of cardiac arrests. Mm -hmm. I think that that weighed very heavily on every member that was on a truck and working during those times, even the supervisors in the command cars, even us that were logistical support. We just could not believe that these supervisors were coming in on, on a command car for Station 22 has 12-hour command cars. Mm -hmm. They said they were doing 12 and 11 cardiac arrests in a 12-hour tour. Right. That's a cardiac arrest an hour. Right. I can't think of any time where we've had numbers like that. Right. I don't think the human psyche is designed to be bombarded right. with that type of thing. Yeah. That's a good point. And a lot of those cardiac arrests weren't being transported to the hospital. Yes. Which means that we were running the code in somebody's home, doing everything that could be done in an emergency room. Absolutely. It, there wasn't a problem with the standard of care or what the chances were to help bring this patient back. Right. But instead of transporting, we were staying in the home and calling the arrest if there wasn't a positive outcome right. in the home and having to tell these families, right? So over and over and over again, you've got to tell a family. Sure. And I find that that's the worst part of the job. Oh, I agree with you. Yeah, that's, it's just, it's terribly sad. And in the beginning of this, we all thought it was just going to be the older people. Right. Not that that makes it any better. But then all of a sudden, you know, two weeks in, now we've got 30-year-olds, children, pediatrics, little kids. That's daunting. Right. You know, it's terrible. It's safe to say that you've been a student during your career, right? You're a student, you've been learning from the day you started. You sure. started um, as what we referred to at the time as a cadet. Yes, ma'am. So you were not an EMT. I was not an EMT. I had no certification when I came on the job. That means we trained you to become an EMT. It's yes, one of my favorite programs. I yeah. used to teach that program. And it really is my favorite program to teach. And then throughout your career then, you're a student. You become a paramedic, you have to be a student again. You become a HAZTAC paramedic, you have to be a student again. You become a rescue paramedic, you have to be a student again. You're going to yeah. teach all of these skills. You've got to be a student again. What do you think helped you through this pandemic most of all that learning that you've had, you know, from a tactical point of view? I find that when I disseminate information, I retain the information better. Mm. So just like EMS, we're visual learners, right? right? So I think that, that that helps me retain the information and disseminate it better. I think that being on the job for so many years and having to go through so many different classes, you learn what the critical areas of information are right. and how you can disseminate that to somebody else right. so that they don't have to kind of go through all of it and figure it out on their own. Mm -hmm. So I think that that's one of the main things. Starting May 17th, 2020, our department will take part in the annual National EMS Week initiative, and that's a time when we acknowledge all members of FDNY EMS. During EMS Week, 
We usually host a series of events, which we've had to postpone this year because of COVID-19. But fortunately, we were still able to maintain one tradition, uh, which is the release of the EMS Week poster. And this year's poster features seven members of EMS responding to the coronavirus pandemic in New York City. And you are one of the members featured in the national theme for EMS Week is ready today, preparing for tomorrow. So tell us, what does being a member uh, on the poster mean to you for EMS Week? I think that's cool. I think EMS Week in general brings a huge sense of morale. I like to think it does. The barbecues, we have giveaways, and we do different things. Like over at 22, we used to do bake sale, and then we'd pay for the barbecue. I do the EMS competition every year. Right. We do our division runoffs, mm -hmm. and then we come down with our winners. Yeah, it's Yay. a lot of fun, too. So, yeah, it is a lot of fun. It's a long day, but it's it a is. lot, a lot of fun. So, I mean, it's sad that that's not going on this year. Yeah, I agree. Understandable, mm -hmm. obviously. Mm -hmm. I like EMS Week. I think it's a, you know, I think it's a morale booster. Yeah, I think so too. Yeah. How have you been able to balance life, right? So you're 21 years on the job. Yes, ma'am. And you have a family. Yes, ma'am. Tell us about that. I have my husband who's also on the job, Alan Lechak. He works at uh, Ladder 101, Engine 202. He's a seated chauffeur for the tiller. Mm -hmm. I have my two beautiful, sassy girls. Mm -hmm. I have Raya, she's four and Nora is three, and they are it's brilliant kind of and beautiful, and they're growing up way too fast. So that keeps me busy looking, I'm gonna cry. <laughs> that keeps me very busy. Yeah, and it's just, it's a pleasure to come to work every day. My division commander is amazing, Chief Denora Claudio. It's just, it's so nice to come to work. That's great, and how do, how do you, you know, get through this now? Because life is different, right? Life is always changing. After the birth of my daughter, Nora, my husband had a brain tumor. Thank God it was not cancer, but it teaches you to be so cautious of day to day, but on the flip side is to live every day. So all those times when you go through things like that, you just have to put one foot in front of the other right. and hope that tomorrow's going to be better right. and so on and so on. And then you just, you learn to let things roll off your shoulder and you deal with it. Mm. So even in times like this, I go to work. I go to work, I come home. I explain to my four-year-old that there's a sickness, that we can't go outside. Right. So you just, you know, you just do what you have to do. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you're aware of this because of the, the type of work that you do for us as the ALS coordinator. But in April of 2020, 178 FDNY EMTs graduated early. It was a couple of weeks sooner than they normally would have. And it was to help because we were at the peak Absolutely. of call volume. And it was necessary. And it was very necessary. Sure. So uh, what advice would you give that new member who's coming out? And you probably had to give real advice. Yeah. Um, so share that with us. I tell any member, and I've said this since I got my rescue medic, this department is going to offer you so many opportunities, whether it's now during a pandemic, right, or just going along your career. Take everything that this department offers you, just everything. Take your medic, right? Take your hashtag, take your rescue. Go to instructor school if they offer it to you. Go to the BOT and be an instructor if that's your passion. Right. If you don't want to stay in one place, you can move to another. But 
while you're here in your title of EMT or paramedic, do your job the best that you can. Be compassionate towards your patients mm -hmm. and the people you work with. You never know when somebody's having a bad day and that can change somebody's outlook. That's true. <laughs> That's true. You never know the impact that you're having on somebody in any given moment. Absolutely. What advice would you give anybody thinking of joining EMS at this point, you know, particularly post, well, it's, we're not even post pandemic. Not, yeah, yeah, we're still going. Come on over, the water's fine. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great job. I, I mean, too. I, I, maybe I have a love affair with my job. <laughs> I like it, I enjoy it, I enjoy the people, I enjoy the social aspect of it, I enjoy the educational aspect of it. There's never a day where you don't learn something. You know, either it's from somebody else or school or whatever. Come join us, have a good time, make some friends. Do you think that this could scare up some people off and, and make it difficult for us to recruit? Or do you think that if you're attracted to this line of work, it doesn't matter? That's a tough question. Yeah, I know. You know, because... <laughs> I'm not um, sure what the answer is either. It might not scare them off. It might make them wait mm. until this type of situation is done with. I think that if you truly have a love for this job, whether you know it from, you know, working privates or maybe volunteering, mm. I think those are the people that this wouldn't scare off. Right. They'll be like, okay, you know, I'm in it to win it. So with 21 years of service behind you, uh, what do you think the future holds for you? Just good things in general. I like where I am. I like what I'm doing. And I have a great family. I have a big support system. So, uh, you know, 25 maybe retirement, maybe not. Yeah, I wasn't sure 25 years. And yeah. You know, then I took it to 30, and now here we are at 36. So. And there you go, right? There you go. Like I said, I like coming to work. so It's not a job when it's, you it, it's really have a passion not. for it. It's just a place away from home. Kim, thanks for joining us today. It's really been great talking with you. It's my pleasure. I'm very flattered to have been chosen to come down and speak with you. Yes, well-deserved. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the FDNY Pro Podcast. I'm your host, Chief of Staff Elizabeth Cassio. For more training and information from our subject matter experts, go to fdnypro.org. FDNY Pro is online at fdnypro.org. Subscribe today and get inside access to the FDNY. Learn more about our publications, professional conferences, and other tools for first responders. Train with New York's Bravest.